Boy, uh, I, I wonder when that song was, that hymn was written that we just sang. I know it comes from scripture, but um, I know that we've been singing it for centuries. And it says so much that when you first, you look at the opening lines of, of that text, praise God from whom all blessings flow. These are gifts that are given uh, to us from God. And when you think about gifts, they are sometimes powerful and they are sometimes dangerous. Uh, this week we had a birthday in, uh, in the McCoy Ranch. Our nine-year-old turned uh, 10 this week. And, um, and so now he's getting to the age where, you know, you give him gifts and, and you have to think a little bit about it and think, okay, now, you know, things like skateboards, um, I, I tend to play things a little safe and conservative. You know, I think, okay, skateboard may equal broken elbow, and, you know, we're no longer doing the little gifts that you give when they're two and three years old. We gave him a, a, uh, a, a gun, a dart gun thing where, you know, you can load up 12 and rapid fire, uh, which means uh, little brother's eyeballs are now uh, targets. And uh, so some gifts are, are dangerous that, that you give. And I think that's true certainly for God when he gives the gifts that are dangerous. You might remember uh, the uh, Christmas story movie. Everybody know that? Where the little kid, I forget what his name was, uh, but what? Ralphie, of course, Ralphie. Uh, didn't they write a song, What's It All About, Ralphie? No, Alfie, sorry, just kidding. Yeah. The jokes, uh, I was going to say they get better. They actually get worse, so if you want to leave now, you might as well. So uh, I was thinking about, you know, Ralphie this, uh, this week, and you remember the film? He was looking for Christmas for the Red Ryder air rifle BB gun or whatever it was, and uh, he kept getting the same response. Well, I brought a little clip for you to kind of remind you. There it is, the holy grail of Christmas gifts, the Red Ryder 200-shot range model air rifle. Ralphie, what would you like for Christmas? Horrified, I heard myself blurted out. I want an official Red Ryder carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle. No, shoot your eye out. Oh, no, it was the classic mother BB gun block. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. Oh, no. You'll shoot your eye out? My mother must have gotten the Miss Shields. There could be no other explanation. You'll shoot your eye out! You'll shoot your eye out! <laughs> you ever wonder if your kids, they see you like that when you're saying, no, you can't drink chocolate milk on the rug in the living room, like, you can't drink the milk or something. Who knows? I think of the wonderful gifts that God gives to us, the blessings that we've just sung about, some of them, like how dangerous they are, free choice. You know, God could have said, I'm going to create you in such a way that you'll do exactly what I tell you to all the time. The word disobedience wouldn't even be found in the book because you wouldn't have a choice. There wouldn't even, that wouldn't even exist. But God said, no, I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to give you the ability to make choices in your life. Wow, what a gift. 
I'm thankful that God didn't make us a robot, but we get to choose strawberry, vanilla, chocolate. We get to choose between good and bad. We get to choose what we keep, what we don't keep, what we give, what we don't give. We get to choose what we read or not read or watch or not watch or listen or not listen as an act not only of obedience but of love. I'm looking around the room here. We have a few kids. So I'm going to say God gave to us as adults the gift of physical relationship between a man and a woman. It is a, it is a wonderful and a beautiful gift and one that we would call a blessing. And yet when you look at what we've done with that gift, you might say if you were God like, wow, I mean, when you're in the planning room, it's going to be a dangerous one in the hands of men and women with free choice of what they do with this whole arena. That's why when you look at the world and billions, not millions, but billions of dollars are spent on the pornography industry, you think, yep, that was part of the risk. Sometimes God gives to us resources, our jobs, our homes. And as a pastor, I've seen so many years where God will bless somebody with something and then all of a sudden they, they have the resource, a new job, and they forget the source of the resource. And suddenly that gift of a job or a home or whatever, a promotion, God would like, oh, man, I knew it was a risk. Now, now, now they think they're a big shot, or now they don't need me. We're getting ready to go on vacation, and I've, I, uh, I uh, do a little child labor around the house, and they, they earn some money instead of uh, just giving them money for vacation. I say, hey, you got some weeding outside. And, uh, and so uh, because our oldest one just had a birthday, and Grandma gave him some money, and then somebody else gave him a little cash and whatnot, and we had these jobs lined up. And uh, I was counting on these jobs to be done. So yesterday, I'm like, hey, it's Saturday. And uh, so I got, I'm asking you, let's get these jobs done. And they was like, no, Dad, I'm good. I got my money. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll guess I'll do it now. <laughs> We're going to look not at any of those gifts, but another gift that God gives to us. That from God's perspective, it must have been a risk. Somewhere in the planning room, because the world is, that God made is so brilliantly designed that I don't think that even though I believe that God created uh, uh, the world in six days as we know it and rested on the seventh, some people say, I don't, I don't understand how that could happen. I'm like, I don't, I don't either. I don't know what took him so long. Because God could have done it in six seconds if he wanted to. So if you think six days is a miracle with God, I'm like, come on, it's God. But what I do believe, and it's just my little theory, that he thought it out before he actually said, let there be light. In the mind of a brilliant God, I believe that the details and all the things and how they fit together and oxygen and nitrogen and the ozone and the planets and gravity and the space and the distance between the, the, the sun and the, and the moon and the earth and all those things, I just don't think he woke up and said, hey, I got an idea, blink, let there be light. He's, he, he's, he has more foresight than that. How do I know? Because... He's given us foresight, and we're created in the image of God, and we plan for things. So certainly God must have planned for things. So when God was in the planning room, let's just assume, 
I believe that these gifts that he must have wrestled with, and I believe that the one that we're going to look at today, he must have said, wow, this is going to be a gift that, that comes with a certain level of risk. We find ourselves back in Genesis chapter 1. We are looking at taking uh, a day of creation for every week, and we're, we find ourselves on day 5. Day 5 begins in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let the water teem. I love that word. I mean, it's just got this kind of energy, like team, like all of a sudden. Let the water teem with living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, verse 22, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill them and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning and it was a fifth day. When you read in verse 22, that God blessed them, it is the first time in the Scriptures, in the Bible, that we see the word blessed. And this blessing, this gift, comes to us with, a, with an assignment. See, before here, before this moment, God said, let there be light, and there was light. There was no one to, to speak to, so to speak. And then God, as you remember, separated the waters from the waters. In other words, he put seas below, and then he put sky, and then he put clouds that hold the waters and whatnot. He did different things. Last week we saw that he had vegetation, and he put the vegetation. He said they're just, it's going to kind of cycle on its own. He didn't say anything to the vegetation. But now that he's got living creatures, he said, I want to give you a blessing. And this is the gift of reproducing. See, when Adam comes along, God says, I'm going to bless you. And he uses the word the second time. He says, I'm going to bless you, and here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you the gift of replicating. I want you to replicate yourself, duplicate yourself, copy yourself, reproduce yourself, whatever word you want to put on it. And it came with a blessing. Then Abraham comes along, and then God says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to I want you to go and reproduce and make a nation. Noah comes along. He steps off the boat. God uses the same language exactly. I want to bless you, he says, and I want you to go and replenish the earth. The same thing happened with Jacob when he wrestled with God. He said, I'm blessing you, and I want you to reproduce. Every time you see in the early chapters of the Bible the word blessing, it comes with reproduction. And I would say to you that we're going to see today the potency of this gift, both positive and poisonous, both good and both risky. God, when he made this distinction, I'm telling you, this gift, he actually said, man, this is a, this is a tough one, and we're going to look at, at why. It has powerful um, uh, attributes, and it's got some very powerfully negative attributes. Now, you'll remember, if you were here when we looked at day one, that God made a distinction between the, the Hebrew word create and the Hebrew word make. We tend to intermingle them and interchange them, but not for God. You'll remember the Hebrew word bara means ex nihilo. In other words, created from nothing. This is the, 
the first time since that opening statement that God barred, God created the worlds and the heavens and the earth out of nothing. This is the first time that God uses it here in verse 21 when he says God created the great creatures. In other words, he bara, he created out of nothing these great creatures. And for the first time here, he's, he makes a distinction. You see, with the vegetation, he automatically put in this cycle. He did not say to the plants, look, here's what I want you to do. Go reproduce. Didn't say that. There's just something naturally inborn in all plants, vegetation, trees, orange trees, grapefruit trees, rose bushes, that, that they, they drop a seed, you, the seed falls to the ground, and then up comes an oak tree or whatever dropped to, to the ground. To men, to women, to children, to whales, to the animal kingdom, God said, look, I am distinguishing between what I will do and what I'm asking you to do. See, here's, if you were God, you'd say, look, I said to the, uh, the vegetation, you're just, I'm, I made it in such a way that I don't have to command you to do anything because I've set it up in this cycle. Don't forget that God could have created this world any way he wanted to. And he could have just created in a, some system. I don't even know how it would work, but like, huh, there's another human being. wonder where that came from. No, he said, you have to actively be involved. Think about the physical world first. You have to actively be involved to reproduce another person. No one reproduces. No one comes up pregnant and says, I don't know how that happened, although maybe some people do, but I got a pretty good idea how that happened. There was some level of, of interaction, of intentionality, because God said, I'm leaving that up to you. I just don't make people out of nothing, and all of a sudden, just like some sci-fi movie, people start coming out of the dust, you know, like the Sandman or any of those. I'm watching a lot of kids' movies these days, so it's the best I got, but... God said, nope, you're going to have to do it. So when we read this, it's why Noah, for example, in Genesis chapter 9, in verse 1, look at the language. Then God blessed Noah. God gifted Noah with this gift. And his son saying to them, you be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So when we go to the spiritual level, not beyond the physical level, it works exactly the same. God made a clear distinction. I will do some things, but I'm giving you the gift of doing some things also. People, um, Christians, we will use this language like, um, and I understand it, when we say, I led someone to Christ. Or I've heard Christians say, I got someone saved. And with all respect, I, I get where you're going with that. In other words, God used you as an instrument to play a part in what he's doing. In other words, not what you did. I, breaking news from the scripture, you can't save anyone. You can't make it happen You with your logic, eloquence, whatever, cartoon book or whatever it may be. That's how I, I started coming to Christ. I saw a cartoon book and there were flames of hell and it scared me to death. I'm like, I got to get serious about it. But everybody comes in a different way. But you can't do it. We're told clearly in John 6, no one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, when I'm speaking to someone about Christ, 
that verse to me is very comforting. It's not like I got to bring the cell and close the deal because God is drawing a person. I love it when a person is in that mode and they can't figure out what God is doing. I love it. I know they're confused. It's sometimes a tumultuous time in their life. And I'm sitting back thinking, oh, this is cool. God is stirring your pot. And he's drawing you and you can't figure it out. But trust me when I say just just watch what God is about to do. Because when God makes the move... And not when a person says, okay, you convinced me, I'll believe that Jesus is the Savior. No, that is not salvation. Salvation comes when God has drawn, a, God the Father has, through the power of the Holy Spirit, has drawn a person to Christ. And in that moment, Christ becomes irresistible. I never feel like I've got to talk someone in to becoming a Christian. If I do, I'm interfering with God's part, not mine. Am I passionate about it? Of course. Am I, uh, do, I, is my, do I have a, a job of speaking the gospel? Yes. But beyond that, if someone doesn't accept Christ, am I disappointed? Yes. But I'm not disappointed at my performance. So many people don't open their mouth for Christ because they think they're going to blow it. Let me go ahead and tell you, you will. You are not eloquent enough. You're not intelligent enough to bring someone's spirit in connection with the Spirit of God. It's a supernatural force. That's why Christ said, look, you've got to be born a second time supernaturally. It's something I promise you. If God had given me that gift, I would, have, I would reach in the heart of people like Iron Man, take out the plug, stick my hand in and go, Bink, you're saved. And I would feel so good about myself. And that's why God says, look, I've given some dangerous gifts, but I'm not giving you that one because, Steve, you're too stupid and you're too proud. Because if you could go around saving people, man, your head would blow off. And so God did give dangerous gifts but he didn't give stupid ones to stupid people like myself. You, uh, so in, Ma- in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, watch this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It is something like the creation of the world that only God can do. We're looking at his part. He is a new creation. The old has gone, and only because of God the new has come. Watch. All this is from God. Let me tell all the soul winners in the room, go for it. I love people that love to share Christ. But for for those of us that do, this is a stark reminder. This is God's part. We do our part by just opening our mouth and saying, Christ is Lord, and then the Holy Spirit has got to come into the mix. Now, having said that, God distinguishes in the beginning here a trait. I'll make the sea creatures. They've got to reproduce. I'm not going to do it for them. I'll make the humans. You reproduce. I'll bring the flood, Noah. After you get off the boat, you reproduce. 
Abraham, I'll give you the vision. Look at the stars in the heaven. But you've got to go in the tent with Sarah, just to be honest with you. You've got to be, have a part. I'll do my part. You do your part. Now, with Christ telling us clearly that we cannot bring people to Christ, we cannot make converts, what he does say is, here's what you can make in Matthew 28. You know it well. Go, he says, and what? Make disciples of all nations. You know why? Are you ready? Riveting. Because he can't. Are you saying that God can't? Yeah. He has set up the system that he's not going to come down and take a well's place and say, I'm going to make a new well. He could if he wanted to, but he didn't set it up that way. We're on earth. We're the ones spiritually that reproduce. He says, I'll do my part. I'll make converts. You make disciples. I, I walked the earth for 33 and a half years or so. Now you're walking the earth. Now I'm giving you the ability to, make, to reproduce yourselves. It is a trait of God that is traced through the beginning, through the end of scriptures. Now, you may say, okay, got it. There is a distinction of what God does and what we do. And from day five, he says, I'm putting some responsibility in the hands of of whales, living creatures, although they don't have hands, and the fins of creatures, <laughs> and the hands and the feet of human beings. We're clear on that. So what's so dangerous about it? That's a beautiful gift. The word blessed is used. But there is some danger to this gift that God has given to us, just like the gift of choice, the gift of physical relationships, the gift of resources, all that. This also carries a risk. And there's a few things I want to throw out to you this morning. Here's the first. And the key is in that phrase, according to. See, God, review, makes a distinction. Here's what I do, and here's what you do. And, there, and the two shall not meet. Here's your job. Here's my job. He also makes another distinction here on day five. And he also made it in day four, and he also will make it in day six. And that is, there's a distinction of what you can reproduce. Um, breaking news. I can't reproduce a cow. I can't reproduce a cat, a rose bush. Uh, I can't. I'm, I'm very limited. God said I'm distinguishing that what you can and what you cannot do. Otherwise, I'm like, hey, honey, we're out of milk. I'm going to go make a cow in the back because we need, you know, I mean, it would get nuts. God, in his infinite wisdom, I know when you were looking at it this side, like, well, well, of course. But, you know, human beings do try to act like animals at times. In fact, I saw this YouTube video that has gone viral, 67 million hits on this video of two guys. Well, I brought it. Is it any surprise?
This is why God <laughs> says, you stick to humans making humans, rhinos making rhinos, etc. The danger, the first danger that I want to throw out to you and the gift of reproducing is that we will reproduce according to. We will pass on to those that were that are copying us ourselves, whether that's good or the way that's not good. Proverbs tells us in, in chapter 13, verse 20, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Remember, we cannot ex nihilo. I cannot live one kind of life. I can't be a lazy father and reproduce ex nihilo something out of nothing. I only can make things out of things that exist. And if I'm a lazy dad, for an example, guess what my kids learn? They learn I'm going to reproduce in them how to be lazy whether I want to or not. It is a dangerous gift. I have the power to reproduce in them something positive, hopefully. But you know how it is for those of you that have kids and something happens and they're in the back seat of the car and they, they say something like, where did you learn that from? And, of course, they say, from you. I'm like, ah, you've got to, there comes an age where you have to start handling how you drive in traffic, handling how things happen at home and all those things because they're like little sponges and they're taking it in. We use a word around our church that's a scientific word, mitosis. And I, I brought you a picture of mitosis. Some of you know it from some science class. But over here on the left is that, that cell that at the very cellular level that when, a, when it begins to split, that's, the, that's the, the, what's called mitosis. When those, those cells split, they don't reproduce something different than themselves. They reproduce something identical to themselves. Can you feel the risk when God said, all right, I'm going to let them copy one another, whatever they're doing is going to rub off, reproduce, and be duplicated. Gideon, for example, we've looked quite a bit at Gideon, who had 300 soldiers. And when they came to that moment of warfare, Gideon looked at his 300 soldiers who were vastly outnumbered, and he said these words, watch me, he told them in, in Judges chapter 7. Watch me, follow my lead, and when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When we launch our discipleship track, which is right on the, right on the edge of launch, our very first measurable is called imitate. You have to live an imitatable life. Does that mean perfect? No. Here's imitatable. I show up with my disciple and say, man, I tell you what, what a, what a day. I was overloaded. I, I, I said something to my wife that was way out of, way out of line. And uh, let, me, let me show what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick the phone up right now. And I will let you hear my conversation. 
sweetheart, it's all your fault. <laughs> I mean, sorry. <laughs> sweetheart, I, what am I, what am I, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. That's imitatable. It frees us from some legal, legalistic expectation of being perfect. It's like I screwed up, but I'm, I'm going to, like Paul, I wrestle with my own flesh, and that's duplicatable. That's imitatable. And, and, and this is what has been missing, I believe, in the church world, that we've been more informational than transformational. People, we've heard enough truth, honestly, to last us the rest of our lives. People now need to see, disciples now need to see that replicate it so that, that they can duplicate it, that they can watch it, they can see it, they can live it out, they can see it lived out, they can see the mistakes, they can see the course correction, they can see all those things so their life is transformed. People's lives are not transformed by a bit of truth. And we've made that huge mistake that if only we have another Bible class, then lives will be transformed. How many generations will it take for us to understand that Timothy becomes Timothy because there's a Paul saying, imitate me as I follow Christ? It's a big difference. On the other hand, at the end of Gideon's life, after he said, look, follow me, watch me, do exactly what I do. At the end of this hero's life, he got the big head. And after he won all this warfare, he went to his people and said, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to collect gold earrings. Never a good sign in the Bible. <laughs> We're going to melt it down. I'm going to make an ephod, which was kind of this priestly garment. We're going to make it out of gold, 43 pounds of gold. Think about how much that would be worth these days. 43 pounds of gold. And Judges 8, at the end of Gideon's life, Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed in Ophrah, that's not Oprah, his hometown. And all of Israel prostituted themselves. They followed him and did exactly what he did by worshiping it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Oh, what a dangerous gift. What a dangerous gift. Somebody's watching you. And sometimes you have no idea who that somebody is. Within your grasp, you have a powerful gift that God very riskily gave to you. Your consistency, your generosity, your selflessness, your faithfulness, your prayer life, your time in the Word of God, I'm telling you, powerful without ever having to say a word. When my kids come in the early morning in my office, they will often find me on my knees on an exercise mat because my knees are too old now for the, for the cement. What are you doing, Dad? Did you lose something? They don't ask me that anymore. No, honey, I'm, I'm talking to God. I'm talking to God. And if you have children, 
and you've taught them to pray, you'll know there is no more beautiful moments than hearing them pray. We have a powerful gift, but we also have the gift of the, the risk of being inconsistent. You're teaching your children. You're teaching those around you. The words you use, all that is reproducible. The second gift, uh, the second danger, I think, is that it doesn't stop with one person, reproduction. Whales make whales that make whales. I know, that's profound, isn't it? Trees make trees that make trees. Otherwise, we just had one tree and that was it. But reproduction means there are ripples. There's chain-level effects going on. So how my father acted, I either have to embrace some of those things or I have to live through some of those things and try to overcome some of those things. Our parents, my parents, did a wonderful job at raising my brother and I. Wonderful job at sacrificing. But as any parents, they weren't perfect. Now, my mom comes to the second service. I won't be saying this then, so you get the free uh, unedited uh, director's cut version. <laughs> oh, she's here. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> but I will say respectfully that I never saw my dad open the Bible. I never did. He was a good man. He really was. He took us to church every week. But I'll nev I never saw my dad pray. Uh, except bless this food, O Lord, to the nourishment of our bodies and us to thy service. Amen. I never saw my father in prayer. So when I came to Christ in my 20s, one of the first questions I asked the man who was discipling me one-to-one -one is, hey, man, I don't know what to say to God because I've never seen it. And that rippled down from his father, my grandfather, who was a good Methodist on Sunday mornings. So it's not the only, it's not just the danger that we can replicate ourselves, good or bad, but that replication goes from generation to generation if we're not careful. It is, it is so profound that, that when I'm reading passages like Nehemiah, and which was actually th this verse that we saw during worship was from the same chapter of Nehemiah in, verse, in chapter 9. And th the whole city, which was God's plan and strategy and dream, had come into ruins. And Ezra and Nehemiah, they saw the condition of what had happened. They said, man, we got to rebuild the thing. And so against all opposition, they rebuilt it. And when they had rebuilt it, they said, let me review why we stand here in this moment, in this chapter of our nation, which we all love. And he said this in chapter 9, verse 34. Nehemiah said, our kings passed, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers did not follow your law, assuming what's written here is, Ripple after ripple after ripple, generation after generation after generation, replication after replication after replication, generation after generation. All in their past, they forgot your word, God. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them. 
But see, now, today, as a result of those ripples, we're slaves. Slaves in the land that you gave our forefathers so they could eat its fruit and the other good thing that it produces. Because of our sins, collectively, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they pleased. God, we are here in great distress because someone in the past thought they weren't reproducible, but they reproduced it in a generation that would reproduce it in their generation, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. You understand it. If you haven't understood it yet, I encourage you to read the front page of any newspaper in any city in the United States of America. Because what's happening in our country that I love, that we had for freedom, that was created for freedom and democracy, is that the frog is being boiled. And one generation after the next says, well, I don't know. Look at the statistics of abortions. Let's take that just as one example. 200 years ago and compare it to today. And you try to explain to me how the frog is not being boiled with thousands, tens of thousands of babies killed. Oh, my God, help us. Help us. It's a train that is recklessly run away. Because I grew up in the hippie generation, the 60s, where it was like the love revolution. How's it looking now? Statistics of STDs, should we go there? Statistics of teenage pregnancies, babies raising babies. And if you fall into any of these categories, it's not a guilt trip because I'm saying to you the same thing that Nehemiah would say. It's part of the generational ripple that we've all received, that I've received, that I screwed up. I could tell you, stand here and say as a product of the 60s and the 70s, how much I screwed up because of what came before me. I made the choice, but I also got the, the ripple that came my way. And thank God that he forgives if, if anybody is in that boat, no offense intended, but as a country, collectively, we're experiencing the reproduction ripples of risk. On the other hand, on the other hand, the power of ripples for Christ are amazing. I hope to God that my kids' children will serve Christ because of the ripple that this small pebble made in their waters. I pray that. I don't just pray for my kids. I pray for their kids. Because by the time it gets to their kids, oh my goodness, what is this country going to be like? And how deep will the need be for second generational ripples coming out of the 21st century? Don't lose sight of the power that you have as a reproducer that God has given to you. Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul said, I am reminded, Timothy, young warrior of faith, of your sincere faith was first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. Wow! That's a moment that God would say, 
okay, now I'm glad I gave the gift of reproduction because that's how it's supposed to work. Whales who make whales who make whales. Dangerous. You see it? And powerful all at the same time. One more thing. The danger in reproduction that when you read in day five is that we can confuse teeming with reproducing. What do you mean by that? Teeming is what God did. Suddenly He bara, and the seas were teeming with creatures. And there are times in the church world where we equate a lot of people with reproducing. And we look at a church and we say, wow, man, that's going fantastic because there's a lot of people and they're reproducing not so fast. People ask me all the time, how's 360 growing? And I will say, who cares? Because I know they're asking me, how are the numbers now, I can say this. It's not like sour grapes because the numbers keep going up. I don't care. Isn't that weird for a pastor to say? I don't care. I, there, there, there's no chart behind the scenes. The only chart we ever have is like, do we have any seats left? Because our second service, thank you for being here, by the way, at 8.30, 8.45. But our second service packed. So the only thing we say is, do we need any more extra chairs? But beyond that, just so that somebody has a place to sit, I could care less. Because teeming is not the same as reproducing. Let me remind you, there are certain things God does. There are certain things that we do. Watch. In the, in the second chapter of Acts, the church was growing at an amazing increase. See, they put mailers out. They had flyers. They had banana split parties. On, no, it wasn't that. God was doing His part. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together, the Christians, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, comma, temporarily, because things are getting ready to break loose. And watch, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if you lived in Jerusalem and you looked at this church, you think, wow, man, they are reproducing. If you spoke to someone who had their head on straight in this church, they would, he would say, no, we're not. Not yet. We haven't had a chance to reproduce. It takes time to reproduce. A tree, a whale, a baby, an orange. You can't say, wow, God added to us Thousands, by the way, 3,000 in this case. Thousands, by the way, and look at us reproducing. You can't reproduce anything in that short amount of time. God is teeming now when you look at the church. He's teeming. If you ask somebody in the church, boy, you guys are reproducing. Oh, no, we haven't had a chance to reproduce yet because that takes time. And there's a difference, and we confuse the two and that's the danger. People being added to the mix is not reproducing. Reproducing looks more like this when Paul spoke to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you, Timothy, 
because you are young. But set an example. That's your job. God, Timothy, he can't do that for you. He can't, he can't, he can't do that. You've got to set an example for the believers in how you talk, how you live, how you love, how you trust in faith, what you watch and you don't watch, your purity. See, that's going to take time for people to see that. Be diligent in these matters. Your part, not God's. You've got to be diligent. Give yourself wholly to them. Watch so that everyone may see your progress. That is reproduction, not teaming. You see the difference? Huge deal in this day and age. Because churches will say, we're reproducing. God say, not yet. Don't forget who's adding here. Don't ever forget. I'm Barra, man. I'm Barra. That's my department. On the office door of God, it says Barra. Yours doesn't say that. You're down the hall. You do what you can do. Let me do what I can do. There are times with this powerful gift of reproduction that as the ripples continue, I'm here to say that we are not desperate victims of negative ripples. There are moments when Lois, the grandmother of Timothy, said, Nope, my mom wasn't a believer in God, but I'm going to be. You do not have to be locked and loaded. Some of you have grown up in homes that were unlike mine. You've grown up in homes where when you say the word father, there's a trigger, a painful trigger. Or mother, there's a painful trigger. Or either one. And maybe you grew up with a father who didn't pray or didn't read the Bible or any of those things. You may have grown up with atheist parents. You may have grown up with parents that came from my generation, boomers, who went for the gusto. And everything is about me and my big house and boat and everything else. You may have grown up watching that. You can be the person in this generation that starts a new ripple. You don't have to go with the flow of reproduction. You can start a new tree. On the next to the last day in school, my now 10-year-old came home and he said to me, I ate lunch by myself today, Dad. Alone. Well, he's a very, if you know him, social person. There has been a kid in his class this year that has pummeled him with the most raunchy crudeness that your mind could imagine. We even talked to the mother who was in denial about this boy and said, please help, let's work as a team. We didn't call to slap your hands, but can we work as a team? She goes, that's not happening. I'm like, okay. That's all we can say and do. And all through the year, we've had to say to our son, look, you're going to hear these words. This is nothing new under the sun. And you're going to see this and hear this. You see, there are people at work that 
they, they may have their Playboy in the third drawer, or they may have their favorite websites, or they may do this, or after. I'm, I remember when I first came a Christian, I was a painter, painting buildings and whatnot, and, and uh, everybody partied on Friday, and they had a ping pong table they'd set up, and they'd just get wildly, blindly drunk. And I would have joined them like anybody's business years before. I'd have been, I'd have been at the I'd been dancing on the ping pong table. But I remember having to say, no, a new ripple is going to start. Well, sweetheart, how come you ate lunch alone? He said, Dad, you've taught me this year that it might take some courage. And all the other kids were gravitating because raunchy is currency in, in the fourth grade, if you don't know. Like, you know, when you get into middle school, sometimes it's sports, and sometimes, you know, in high school, it's the car you drive. There's currency for every age. And unfortunately, crudeness is a currency, and it's cool if you say, you know, raunchy words or whatever. And I looked him in the eyes, and I said, I've never been more proud of you. And I promise you, somebody was watching you. You say, how come you didn't come eat with us? Because I, I, I just don't. I can't stand that language anymore. I'm like, I'm so proud of you. And without you knowing it, I'm telling you, somebody's watching you. You are creating an imprint, a fingerprint, an identity of God. All that adults would have the same courage. This past week, I want to close with showing you an image I got a, I saw an Instagram from our missionary to uh, Czech Republic, Rob Chestnut. And they're moving to Prague from way out in the middle of nowhere on the, on the east side of near Poland uh, of Czech Republic. And they're moving to Prague and they've been, where they were sent out of our church a couple of years ago and they're just doing wonderful and he's just so, they're both of them so wired for Prague. And so as they're packing their boxes and they're moving into this new place in Prague, and if you don't know that part of the world, the, the history is just rich. I mean, if we see a building in the U.S. that's 100 years old, we're like, wow, man, that is really amazing and something. But in Europe, you know, they have buildings that are 300, 400 years old and more, and it's just that the richness is just is quite amazing. And, it, and this was the picture that he posted on his, uh, on his site. And so I emailed him, communicated right back. I said, wow, man, I'm looking at this, this, apart, this new apartment that you're moving into in Prague, recognizing that their history in the last 60 years has been rich of suffering, of agony, of occupation of, of communist nations, of the Velvet Revolution, of liberation. And as I looked at this, I thought, man, alive, think about the stories. If those walls could talk, who lived there 60 years ago in Prague? And the impressions that were made. So I'm like, tell me, can, can you tell me anything of the story? Who lived in this apartment and what they were like? And you know what he emailed back? He said, we did. This is my apartment. And that's two years only. I said, dude, you got to quit smoking. Because <laughs> it's getting all over your walls. <laughs> Here's the point and the picture I want to leave with you today. It doesn't take long to leave an imprint.
And I want you, don't look at me for right now. I want you to, if we can go back to that picture. I want you to look at that picture of, of this, these imprints. And I, want, I hope that that will be burned in the image of your mind this week. Realizing that whether you like it or not, you are making an imprint. What an amazing and beautiful blessing from God. What a dangerous and risky gift. Father, thank you for this reminder of day five that you have put in action something that has not changed. Your job, our job. And we can only reproduce God according to Wow. Wow. I pray you'll embed that in our minds, our hearts. But beyond that, God, I pray you'll embed that into our actions. What we stand for, what we say, what we don't say, how we trust, how we pray, how we read how we love your word, how we love you, how we love our spouses, how we love our children, how we love you enough to let go in generosity, what we, what we don't love, what thrills us, what doesn't thrill us. All those things, God, our frame is making a mark which could potentially go from generation to generation. Oh, deepen this in us, God. Deepen this thought and this reality in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name.